Welcome to the Real Estate Explainer podcast, where we talk about anything and everything real estate. I'm your host, Brian Kixula. Take notes. Today, Jeff Berman will be talking about finding off-market land deals in Northport, Florida. So uh, welcome to the podcast, Jeff. I'm excited to dig into the Northport market, specifically looking at off-market land deals. But before we jump into the off-market land deals piece, I think we really need to identify what makes Northport such a niche market. So first of all is where is Northport? Yeah, thank you. Uh, Thank you for the invite, Brian. Looking forward to this. So Northport is located along the central west coast of Florida, sort of lies between Tampa and Naples. And um, it's located in Sarasota County, which lies between uh, Manatee County to the north and Charlotte County to the south. So a lot of people think that Northport is in Charlotte County just because its, its original name was Northport Charlotte, but it is not. It's in Sarasota County. And Northport is in its own incorporated city. So uh, makes it interesting because you're dealing with the city itself rather than the county and the laws and rules the city puts forward. All right. So basically, Northport's about an hour, hour, 15 minutes south of Tampa. So about 30 minutes south of Sarasota. Right. In, in round numbers, given the current. All right. And then historically, I mean, Northport, you know, I live down in Sarasota, Florida. Northport is, is an upcoming area. You've been doing land deals down there for, I don't know, what is it, plus or minus 20 years. So you've definitely been in the market for a long time. Now, what is unique? What, what really drives land deals in Northport specifically? Well, I, I would say the specific thing that ultimately drives it is the availability of, of vacant home sites. It's an area that was uh, developed by a company called General Development. And they went in there and they put all the roads in. They did some drainage. And um, then they started marketing these lots to people up north. And this was done um, you know, in the 60s. And uh, that's how it began. And why it's so attractive is because you have basically an open subdivision here in terms of um, thousands and thousands of empty lots that uh, are there to be built upon, ultimately. So to, to like kind of narrow it down, what I'm looking at is, you know, if you're in San Diego, California, you're not going to use the same strategy. So what you've identified is you've identified a community that's next to, let's say, another major city, let's call it uh, Fort Myers, Tampa, south of Sarasota, and they've got thousands of lots. So literally thousands of open lots that a company had built. So they subdivided out the land and then they marketed it to individuals up north. So they, you know, they're selling these lots to guys in New York, New Jersey, probably uh, Chicago, Illinois, the different areas. So now you've got, let's say, owners that own lots that have, you know, would you say they've even seen these lots? Have they ever driven down to Northport? Do they know what they bought? Well, back in the day, they were actually flying people down to Northport and they were putting them up in a hotel and they drive them around the general area. Honestly, they didn't drive them to their exact properties, but they just sort of said, oh, your lot's over here. So in reality, so they, I, bet, I bet you most of these people have not seen their specific property. All right, then fast forward to today. So 2023, you have an abundance of people who own lots that have probably have never seen them that have been ta- paying tax bills on these lots for years and years. And maybe they're sick of paying the tax bills. Maybe they inherited the lot and they are never planning on building this. So these are the opportunities that you're uncovering. 
Very much so. You know, originally, um, before the, the area started to really explode in terms of developers and investors looking at it, you could go up uh, to the county and you could buy properties that were on the tax available book, which is essentially you pay the taxes remaining on the property and you own it. Then you have to go to a series of, uh, of, of uh, court hearings and whatnot to get the property cleared and get clear title. But um, the path was, uh, was quite easy, actually. So that's how it started originally. People just weren't paying their taxes. The property would be back to the county, and then the county would then try and dispose of the property. All right. Now, so in today's market, again, and we've talked about it at length, uh, what you're seeing because you own property in Northport is you're getting letters from individuals that are looking to buy your lots. So you, you're getting uh, uh, cold solicitations, whether it's by text, by email, or by letters in the mail. I want to find out or just hear a little bit more. What's your approach? What's your step-by-step to uncovering off-market land deals in today's market, contacting the clients, and then you know ultimately closing the deal? And then also, what makes a good deal? I mean, we all know that typically you make money when you purchase property, meaning you're getting a deal that's undervalued for some reason, off-market or on-market. So just if you could you know, provide a little bit of insight as to what you do to acquire these lots. We were actually one of the first to start the direct mailing before uh, there were all these seminars out there on how to purchase. We were doing a mailing, and at that point, it was very tedious. You actually had to go to the county. This was even before the internet was strong. You actually had to go to the county, get the property you know, name and address, and, and write a letter to the, to the property owner. So you fast forward today, and yeah, you're correct. During the past couple of years, I've probably received more than a thousand letters in the mail, probably a couple hundred at least texts, and then uh, some some phone calls as well, direct phone calls of individuals who are uh, trying to purchase property. And generally, they're a form letter. It, it's interesting because I save them, and you could look at them and you see a com- common pattern. So these are individuals who are going to some sort of seminar and possibly paying several thousand dollars or more to learn the process. The letters are not very personalized. They're a form letter. They, they generally will have uh, brief information about the person who's uh, offering to buy. Sometimes it's a corporate name, sometimes it's an individual. They go through just a few points and then they make an offer. Our technique uh, historically has been similar, but we do a more personalized approach. Our letters are uh, signed by hand, for instance will include a personalized note sometimes about where their property is located and what's going on in a specific area. We'll have their name written out in full with their address. We'll have the full legal description of the property, parcel number, everything on a piece of paper. And we do, uh, we do make them a, a, a net to them offer at that point, but we don't include a, a standard contract or anything like that as, as some others do. So just to unpack this a little bit, because I, I think that's really the gold in this is it doesn't sound like you're sending out 10,000 letters. You're not pulling the entire list of lots, identifying it, mass mailing a generic, as you said, a form letter. You're going in and you're really looking at the individual lot. You're personalizing the letter, including their name, the full address. You talk about the lot that you're looking at, why you would want to acquire it. Your lot's on a canal. You know, you've got an upcoming subdivision. I'm interested in building a home on that lot then you're signing it. And let me restate that, or let me restate what you just said. 
you're also including a net to them offer. So you are making an offer in the letter, I'll buy your lot. Give me an idea. How much are these lots? What's an offer? What's a lot look like there? What's your average offer price? Well, average is hard to say because once again, we're going at everything on a lot by lot basis. So in a lot of cases on a particular street, there may be one lot that is entirely, let's say, wooded. There may be another lot that's partially wooded. Okay. In my mind, those lots are worth two different numbers. There may be a lot that is uh, above street grade. In other words, it has adequate fill on it. There may be another lot that's level with street grade. Those two lots have uh, have different offers. Okay. So the the wooded lot, what are you looking at when you're looking at a wooded lot? My guess is it's clearing the lot. It's bringing it to grade. So you're really going in and you're identifying the lot that you're making an offer on. You're you're really looking at it. Are you driving down and looking at these? Are you doing a Google Earth flyover? Are you hiring a postman or an Uber driver to drive by it? What's the what's the strategy? No, actually, Brian, I, I've looked at every single lot that I've made an offer on. And I've probably looked at it multiple times because I've been doing this for over 25 years now. So I'll go buy a lot uh, now that I've probably seen uh, maybe several times before. I don't write an offer until I've, I've looked at the property again. You know, you never know okay. what's happened to the property next to the one you're looking at. And as we know, with Google Maps or any of the other services, uh, they are dated. It's not like it happened last week. Okay, so you're looking at these lots. You usually have seen them a couple of times. You're looking at the condition of the lot, whether you need to add and fill. Do these lots, are they blue top? Do they have electric to them? Do they have septic or sewer? What's the condition? Are they just straight raw lots? Many of the properties do have electricity to them. Florida Power and Light is our, is our service down here. If the lot does not have electricity to it, you have to sort of count telephone poles to get an idea of what that cost will be. And in terms of uh, other utilities, water and, and sewage, uh, most lots down there are well. In other words, you build an on-site well with a water purification system, and then you also build a septic system. Okay. So then going in, you're making the seller an offer, a net offer, so they know how much they're going to walk away with. So you already know all your upfront costs. You've already done that work. So you know the lot, you know the the closing cost involved. How are you pricing these so that you're going to make money on the back end? I mean, lots and land deals are inherently risky because you're probably not getting financing. You're putting your cash out there or you're borrowing cash at very high interest rates, which I would not recommend doing. So your margins are probably tight and you're not going to be generating income on these lots. It's not like you're renting them out for parking or camping or anything like that. They're in a subdivision where you've got a home next door or a home that's uh, under construction. So how do you how do you price these things out so that you know that you're going to make money and that offer that you're making to the seller is going to pencil? You know, I use uh, multiple listing as my guide, multiple listing service as my guide as to a retail number. Um, I also have contact with multiple builders down there, and I know what the builders will pay at any given time. So from that point, it's just, you know, subtraction. So generally speaking, I'll try and hold a property one year uh, to get the long-term capital gain advantage. So you have to put that calculation, time value of money into that. Um, You also have your real estate taxes. What is that running? Right now, taxes down there are somewhere between uh, $600 and $800 per lot. Now, if you have two lots, you can combine those. So you can do it savings on uh, on real estate taxes. And that's a that's a big bonus that a lot of people don't know about. So let's just say, you know, uh, uh, multiple listing numbers right now are in the $20,000, low $20,000 range, which is probably where they're at. 
given that, you want to back off those specific hard costs that you're aware of and uh, then make your offer price. For me, I've, I've never financed a lot. Uh, this is all uh, my own money. So I know that if I was going to have a safe value of money right now, I'd, I'd figure somewhere between 5 and 6% uh, in a money market or CD or whatnot. So uh, these are all things that I consider. It's just going through a spreadsheet and backing out. In terms of profit margin, I mean, I've bought lots for $600 and sold them for $30,000. Now, that's not the norm, but it's been done. Ten years ago, I was probably buying land for 3000 and selling it for 10000 Things are definitely different now. You have to be a little bit more realistic on, on, on numbers. I'd like to thank our sponsor, U.S. Tax Advisors Group, a cost segregation company. To learn more about cost segregation, visit realestateexplainer.com and click on the cost segregation link on the top of the page. So what you just said is typically what you're seeing right now, if, if I heard you correctly, is that a lot is selling for right around $20,000, a single family lot on the MLS. So this is a retail deal. If I were to go on, I could just buy a lot for $20,000 and then I could build a home on it. So what you're doing is you're then going in and you're saying, I'm going to have you know sales costs and have closing costs. So you know exactly what that is. Did you say your, your closing costs are a total of 6% or what's your typical closing cost on a, on a deal? Yeah, you know, it depends the volume I'm doing at a specific time. Total closing costs right now, you're probably around $500 for a nice round number. So because there's no real estate commissions. This is just title yeah. fees, basic exactly. closing fees. This is just title fees, exactly, and title insurance, correct, because I buy title, title insurance on every property. Okay, you've got a retail lot at $20,000. You knock off $500 for the closing fees. And then you figure if you were to invest the money just in today's money market accounts, you could probably get 5 or 6%. Plus, you're going to have holding costs and real estate, real estate taxes. So let's knock off another $600 for real estate taxes. That puts us at $18,900 for base costs just to get into it. So then you would say, okay, well, if I was going to just invest $18,900 into you know, the market, into the money market or stock market or whatever, which is definitely a, a safe bet at 5%, you know you could make another $945 without taking any risk at all. So my guess, and this is just a ballpark, would you go in and offer someone something right around I don't know, let's call it $15,000 for that $20,000 lot, because you know that at least you're going to make a couple of thousand dollars on the deal. Let's call yeah. it $3,000. You know, that's, uh, that's not a bad way of doing it. I would say more accurately, I would probably be purchasing that lot to for somewhere in the, in the twelve dollars to $13,000 range, but you're not far okay. off at all. Because you have to remember, obviously, that um, you've got that year of holding costs and you don't know what the market's going to do in a year. So you could have a continually stagnant market or we could have a nice recovery by then. What you're saying is maybe I should factor something in more like, I don't know, two years or three years of property taxes, or maybe uh, two years or three years of not earning that five or 6% in the market. So what we're looking at, and when I said $15,000, I was basing it on you know that $20,000 lot, you subtract out the $500 in closing costs, and then you subtract out one year of property taxes. Right. But what you're saying is that, you know, the margins are definitely thin on these land deals and you really do have holding costs. So you're going to have to pay your property taxes and you're not going to be getting income on that property. So you really have to know your numbers going in and making those offers. 
So on that $20,000 retail price, you would make an offer of $13,000. And in the letter that you send to the, the owner, are you selling that? Do you sell the holding costs? Do you try to have them feel pain in the letter? Or are you just laying out the basic, you know, you know, here's the economics. Retail your lot is $20,000. If you were hired a real estate agent, how much is a realtor going to charge on a land deal? Uh, probably 8 to 10% down there. So you're going to charge, you know, they're going to charge you 10% right off the top. So you're going to get 18 $18,000 anyways, or maybe. So you're just offering them kind of a walkaway price that is attractive. Now, are you going in and trying to lowball, lowball uh, sellers? You know, the, the grandma who bought the property with her husband back in the 1980s and now just has to unload it? Or are you giving them a, a fair offer? The days of uh, lowball in, in my market area are, are long gone. I did do that and I wouldn't call it lowball, but we were paying a, a fair price for what they had back in the day. But today, the, the issue is, is these people have likely received multiple letters from me, likely received letters from others, and um, they have an idea of, of what their property is, is likely worth, at least at the time they've received the letters. It's funny because I'll send a letter to somebody and uh, they'll say, oh, I've been holding on to these uh, other letters for about five years now. And I'm like, oh, great. What were their offer prices? And it's, it's fun to look back to see. And sometimes one of those letters was mine. So uh, these people are getting getting hit quite often uh, by those form letter guys, and um, you need to do something a little more creative. I do tell them that I'm covering all all costs. I do tell them there are no real estate commissions paid, and I do tell them that I can close in uh, in two weeks if they like. So this is a cash deal. Yep. Right. So that's awesome. I mean, I would love to, uh, and we'll we'll definitely talk offline. I want to buy a lot. I want to buy lots of lots if possible, but. Uh, Really, I want to make sure that uh, when I'm looking at these specific properties that I understand the numbers inside and out. You had talked about uh, guys that are buying courses. I think you know, getting educated on real estate topics is absolutely critical before you start making offers. Certainly understanding the economics of what you're buying, your real holding cost, and what the disposition is going to be. What are you going to do with the properties? I've known that, or I know that uh, you've, you've built several homes on lots as well down in the Northport market, which is interesting as well, because then you're going in and you're actually buying the lot off market. Then you're going in and you're building a home, a duplex, whatever it is, and then you're selling it retail on the MLS as well. And I think that that would be a, a great a podcast for another, another day. So I think you've really unpacked quite a bit of information on the call. And what I would like to do is I'm going to summarize this and I'll actually put it on the realestateexplainer.com website just to organize my thoughts a little bit and organize the conversation. One of the things I wanted to ask about is uh, the biggest, I was going to say challenges. I think that was a question that I sent you, but I want to say, what was your biggest failure? What, what was the biggest failure? Because everybody likes to hear a good uh, horror story or pain story when it comes to real estate. And then it's always that hero's journey. Then what was your biggest uh failure that you've seen that you've had with doing land deals? Yeah, well, I would say missed opportunity is the biggest failure. So when I first started this, I was doing this with my father. And he was a great gentleman, had invested in real estate before. I have a degree in real estate from Florida State University. So we sort of came together and um, started, started this business. And uh, doing fantastic. And during the uh, the boom area down in Northport, which was like 2005, 2006, 
we had lots in our portfolio that we had purchased for well less than $10,000. I would say the average was probably closer to 7,000. And at that point, those lots were selling in the, in the upper $40,000 range. So we had basically $40,000 and figure that out on a percentage of our return. Dad, bless his heart, was anti-taxes. So he did not want to give the government and pay a lot of taxes. So we slowed down our sales. Well, what happened is we had about 200 lots in our portfolio as things turned south. And those lots that were selling in the upper 40s soon were selling in the 20s and soon were selling in the teens and ultimately bottomed right about at our cost, which was somewhere in the seven to $10,000 range. So a huge missed opportunity. So I, I consider that a failure. Um, yeah, that- I've learned since then is you just pay your taxes and you move on. We didn't do that. The other failure is you will once in a while get caught down there with a lot that isn't what you expected. There are some um, endangered species down in Northport. Scrub jay, uh, gopher tortoise are two that come to mind. Gopher tortoises don't stay put. In other words, they walk and they will walk from lot to lot. And if you happen to have a lot that has gopher tortoises on them, the value of your lot is, is going to be impacted severely if you're looking to get out of it at that time. So I have lost money on a couple of deals because of endangered species. Other than that- So, so, uh, you, so you lost about $6 million because of not wanting to pay taxes, if I did the numbers right. $6 million yeah, yeah. because you yeah. didn't want to pay taxes. That's about and then, right. uh and then you, you bought a, a lot that had a turtle walk across it or a tortoise, a tortoise walk across it. And all of a sudden, the lot becomes worth 50% of what you bought it for. And I'll tell you, that really hits home. Uh, when I got started in real estate back in the early 2000s, I worked for a home builder in San Diego and we were building in Riverside County. And we had uh, out in the Paris area, we were building uh, thousands of homes, if you will. And we had vernal pools. So a vernal pool is, uh, you know, just a, I don't know, it's a, a vernal pool. It's just a, a little <laughs> pond that dries up. And uh, what would happen is when it rain, you get these fairy fish. So think of maybe like, I don't know, a fairy fish, something that comes to life when the water hits the vernal pool. And now you've got an endangered species. And that was such a, a problem because they were trying to build massive subdivisions and they would do exactly what they were doing down in Northport is they would map out these plots of land, they'd subdivide it, they would buy property from farmers and everybody else, combine these lots or these farms so they could subdivide them into lots just like they did down in Northport. And then what was happening is when the builder would go out there with their big trucks to stake the lot and to like really survey everything, the equipment that they were using was creating the vernal pools that I was talking about. So then the next year when it rained, they'd have to have a biologist come out and survey the property. And sure as shit, there would be a freaking an endangered species living in a tire track. And it just blew my mind that that is what could derail, derail a real estate transaction. So I guess that's another real uh, challenger, you know, challenger. One of those things that you need to look at when you're buying land is, you know, you might not want to make an offer to buy a piece of property that you know nothing about because God forbid a gopher tortoise walked across it and decided to dig a hole. And now it literally lives in the middle of your lot where you were going to build your home. What do you do in that case? I mean, what do you do? Wait three generations of gopher tortoise before they go away? What do you do in that scenario? Well, unfortunately, uh, environmental uh, regulations are getting stronger by the year. So it, it used yeah. to be that we could, uh, 
move the little guy uh, to an adjacent lot or to a rear portion of the lot. You could actually get in there and with the appropriate people overseeing it, move it to, sure. to a little portion. Well, well, now you actually have to get up because of the development out down there and actually move it to another county. So the costs have gone from $1,000 to $10,000 or whatever. But, I, when, when, you know, but if you're doing volume, once again, it's a cost of doing business in that case. Yep. You know, if you're buying, you know, 100 lots and, and one has an issue, hopefully your profit margin is such that you can just write that one off and move on. And then we were also talking about uh, successes, you know, your biggest challenges or failures that you've had. I know recently, if you don't mind me sharing, is that you've sold lots. Um, and I think you sold a pool of lots to a, an investor. How do you go about evaluating a deal where you're looking at selling a large portion of your portfolio to a developer who's looking at coming in, building a, a neighborhood? When does it make sense to say yes to that offer? Because again, just like you sending out these letters to owners of property that own one or two lots, you got an offer from a developer who owned multiple lots. Tell me about that transaction. How did that come across your desk and what made you say yes? Yeah, so uh, obviously they got my number from the public records and uh, they contacted me wanting to look at my entire holdings. And at that point, my holdings were somewhere around, uh, I believe, upper 30s, 38 lots possibly, I believe. And this was a time that was earlier this year uh, when they started to look at that. And when it came through, they, they do, did their due diligence and they narrowed it down to, I believe it was 18 lots at that point. And uh, they came forward with an offer. They presented it to me via email. I basically replied back, no, thank you. And that was the extent of it. Then I got a phone call, I think a day later, and uh, we want to give you another offer. I'm like, sure, send it my way. So they uh, they increased the offer again, and I wrote back, thanks again, no thank you. So I believe it was this one on three times, and the the fourth offer came across, and now we were getting somewhere. This was an offer that was really right where I thought the property should sell at that time. And um, the advantage there was they were not taking a real estate commission. So they had hit the number I wanted, and I wasn't getting a deduction of 8 to 10% of a real estate commission. So it was a win-win for me. We went into contract. Being a builder, they'll have a longer due diligence period and a longer period until the money goes hard. In this case, it was uh, it was a 30-day due diligence and then another 90 days while they pull permits and things like that. So um, the deal did close and it closed mid-year. And uh, since that point, uh, the market's gotten only weaker in terms of value. So uh, I would say that's a home run for 20. That's a win for you. And what what I think is really cool about that story is we just uncovered how you find off-market deals in Northport, Florida, and uh, how you're buying individual properties from property owners. And then kind of full circle, you had someone approach you to do the same technique and in the same manner that you do it, not a generic form letter that gets blasted out there, but they really understood each individual lot you owned and they made a personal offer. They knew that not paying the real estate commission in this instance made a difference. So that is, that's just a cool, uh, a cool takeaway on it. Before we wrap up the call, I just wanted to, to ask you, I know you've got a, uh, a Facebook page. I'd like to you know, have you share it with the, the audience and just talk about that a little bit as far as are you generating uh, leads or interest or how do you use your Facebook page and how can uh, the audience members maybe connect with you? Yeah, so Facebook really hasn't done much. You know, that, that's something that really, I don't know, I haven't really pursued that all that much. 
under Facebook, I'm just under Jeff Berman in Sarasota. Um, I've got another Facebook page that's called Berman Valuation Services. My last name, B-E-R-M-A-N, Valuation Services. I do have a website, and that uh, is N for North, P for Port, L-O-T-S dot com. So NorthPortLots.com, N-P-L-O-T-S dot com. And on that page, you'll see that I actually uh, buy lots, sell lots, and you'll see uh, I've built um, three dozen or so homes. You'll see some photos of those homes on there as well. But yeah, that's uh, that's about it. You know, I, I probably purchased since that website's been up maybe a dozen lots through the website. It doesn't pull a lot. Those would just be people that were searching online looking to sell some property, and that's that's generally not not what people are doing today. Well, that's awesome. That's something that you weren't even putting that much effort into is still generated, you know, deals. So I guess, you know, it's, that's, that's pretty amazing. All right, we'll go ahead and wrap up the call. And I uh, just wanted to say thanks again for having you on the, the show. And uh, I will talk to you real soon. All right, great, Brian. Thank you. If you would like more information on Northport, visit realestateexplainer.com backslash Northport.